as much as I'd like to talk a big game, I don't know if I'd last too long, you know? I think it, it, there's just so many factors that would need to fall in line for it to work out. Like, I have hunted before, but that doesn't mean I feel confident in, like, tracking and hunting animals on a daily basis. For me, I don't think it would be... I wouldn't lean on what I couldn't do. I would try to lean on what I knew how to do. Yeah, unfortunately, Uber Eats won't work. (laughs) (laughs) I would tip them. I would still tip the zombies. Yeah, I mean... You gotta tap your workers, right? <laughs> no matter who they be, zombie, human, or otherwise. But we'll talk more about it. I, I guess I'm clapping, so you have to you have to do this intro. Ooh, welcome back to class. Well, that was so spooky. Hey guys, I'm Prof Ethan. Um, just a little heads up, I've been watching a lot of British television. There is a large chance that I will That's slip into 100% that at some point. You will. I've seen it. I've seen you do it down here. Yeah, you will slip into that. That will be an inevitability. I am your bugged out Professor Ricky. Ethan, I got a scenario for you. A scenario that I think we should talk about. The day is March 3rd, 2027. You wake up. You get your coffee going, as we do in the mornings, and you look outside. Neighborhood full of zombies. All the neighbors are full of zombies. You now realize you are in a zombie apocalypse. They're meandering. They're aimless. It is kind of your standard affair, middle of the road. Not I am legend sprinters, but not absolute dumb fuck zombies. What's your game plan? What do you do from here? That you look out your window like, oh shit. I'm in a zombie apocalypse. Where do you start? Yeah, so I think most importantly, you'd want to figure out, like, is this happening everywhere? Obviously, yeah. So, like, I, I hit the internet. I think if... you instantly go to the internet. You see, like, am I it? Yeah, yes, that's a good, that's a good, way, to, that's a good way to start. Um, ideally, you'd like to find your friends or family in the area or, you know, whatever that are not, you know, zombified. Who's responding, for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and... Honestly, regardless of who it is, even if they're like your your dorkiest dork friend, like you still want to have somebody around because it's going to get like dark fast. It's going to get dark fast, but also more able bodies, however, however we want to define able. More hands <laughs> makes light work. Exactly. I think for me, the first thing I would do, obviously hit the internet, but I would immediately go to a CVS. Like, I would go to a pharmacy, I'd go to a Walgreens, I would get as many, like, hand wipes, antibacterial wipes, like, uh, like uh, any, anything from the pharmacy that I can, snag that shit. I need, I need that. Like, anti, I, I was thinking about this earlier, how valuable things, like, people are thinking, like, oh, yeah, like, painkillers and stuff like that. I'm thinking anti-diarrheal decongestants, like... Anything that would stop spread of something or prevent me from having something spread upon me would be huge for me. Yeah, I think you'd want a lot of uh, antibiotics. I think you'd want a lot of like antibacterial soaps. Yes. Yeah. Like an absolute soap hoard. <laughs> I think you'd want as much gauze and clean stuff as you could get from that perspective. Yeah. 
Um, but I think water and things like that would actually become a big deal pretty fast. So maybe just go to Costco and load the fuck up. Oh yeah. Um, yep. I mean, it would really depend like how many, like, is it everybody zombies or is there like a bunch of people out there that are like bad people? Because then you wouldn't want to just go straight to like those really high value places. So that is what I think the trip would also double serve is... I still have gas in the tank in my car. I would go survey the scene on the way to certain spots and understand, like, what am I looking at? Or do I see humans looting or do I see just a, a field of zombies? I think right. that'd be how I get the lay of the land. And then after that, I would understand the one thing I do know is that gasol- unleaded gasoline, the ones that like every typical car uses, has like a shelf life of like three months. But diesel has a shelf life of six to 12 months just by way it's processed. So if I see it's a landscape of zombies, I'm late to the party, right? Like everyone's already infected in my vicinity. Yeah. I would go find a diesel vehicle so I know that the fuel I go snag is going to last me six to 12 months, a.k.a. two to four times as long as unleaded gas would. So I would ditch I would ditch Big Blue, which is the name of my Subaru. And I do name my vehicles, but I would I would ditch Big Blue to go get a diesel truck. Like yeah, I'm not something. really sure like transportation would be like long term that big of a deal. I think it would be absolutely late game important for sure. Maybe not like in the first couple weeks, but I think it would be crucial. I, it really just depends on what the scenario is. Like if there's a bunch of bad guys out there, you really don't want to be on the roads. That's true. And if you are on the roads, you'd have, but that's honestly something that's interesting because, like, most diesel vehicles that are commercially available are pretty fucking hardy. So I think if I were to have to be on the road, I would rather something that were more tanky than something like a Subaru or lesser in terms of body size. So I would grab a diesel vehicle regardless if I have to move or not, because there will come a time when I have to move. So I want something that can at least use the fuel that has the shelf life two to four times longer than your typical Pavo pedestrian gas, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I think it's hard to choose what's really the most important in the time. I think, like, obviously medicine is a big deal, but, like, food and water, you'll die faster if you don't have that. True. I, I, um, I, I think... I, I would be concerned with power lasting for very long because of the fact that, like... All of those facilities are run by a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, sh- I can't remember what the freaking show was, but it was basically like all these high school kids, they went away on like a trip, like a high school trip. Okay. And then like, uh, oh, our bus just got hit by something. So we have to turn back. They go back to their town and nobody's there. And also they can't leave. So it's like only the high school kids running this town. Oh shit! It's, it, that's very Lord of the Flies at that point, right? Yeah. Exactly. And the whole thing that's like ridiculous to me is like somehow they have power and water this whole time, and it's like the first thing, like they're screwed. These right. dumb little high schoolers have no chance. Right, right, right. It, it, once you kind of get into the late game of an apocalypse of that nature, it gets a little weird with the logistics, and some shows kind of don't quite play to those very well. Right. But speaking of zombie apocalypses and shows that do this the right courtesy, today we're talking about one that does all of those things and arguably more. Um, I think the show we're talking about today 
not just reconstructs the genre of the zombie apocalypse, which we were just talking about, but also does a really good job of exploring the human element within that in just the short span of its first outing that I think is very worth exploring because it's not only uh, a really good look into the human nature. It's also very uh, a good guidebook on the kind of people if they were to survive in a zombie apocalypse could have a lot of influence in a uh, in a universe where that could be a thing. So, Ethan, you know what I'm doing. What are we talking about today? Today we are talking about there it is Psalm 100 bucket list of the dead. Yes, the 2023 show that had a bit of a uh, production hiatus there in the middle, uh, put out by Bug Films that did a lot of work on things like Scott Pilgrim t- uh, takes off and also Summertime Rendering. It had a huge hand in Summertime Rendering, and it kind of shows. I mean, the visuals are like absolutely top tier and bug films is no slouch in the visual department but it comes from a a manga uh from 2019 so it was very quick to adapt which is kind of indicative of how good of a story this uh this outing kind of is uh first up top man i i really liked it for like the first thing that made me feel like above and beyond for this show's rating is the level of catharsis the idea of the way they portray a zombie apocalypse from the uh, perspective of our main character is very cathartic in the way that they frame a zombie apocalypse. I don't know if you felt the same, but I think there is a lot of people that can resonate with our main character's perspective on uh, his reaction to an, a zombie apocalypse, you know? Yeah, so... um you know, I don't make a billion dollars, but I also don't have like a job where I have to work 80,000 hours a week. So it's hard to really put myself in his perspective. Yeah, right. Um, so our boy, our main guy, Akira Tendo, is essentially working for one of those black companies in Japan. Yep. Where they start you early and they basically just like rub your freaking face into the keyboard for about six years absolutely just beat your spirit and brain right down and so like he's barely sleeping he's uh, he's falling asleep at work sometimes he's sleeping at work sometimes he's in love with like the one hot girl that's fucking the boss and like oh right i forgot she was fucking the boss oh no Honestly, the first episode I thought was pretty disgusting I mean, from that perspective because it just like shows this like absolute simp god who like is such a pussy. He's letting these guys do like everything to him. This one girl is being nice to him like every now and then, and he's like, "Oh, she's so awesome!" And it's like, dude, she's getting railed out by the boss. Yeah, doing let's, nothing. Let's talk about that first episode because I think that. I, I wanted to bring up and I had in notes that I don't currently have up right now, but I made some loose, loose notes for this episode where it's more or less like kind of showing from Akira's viewpoint, a very green individual to the world of professionalism, let alone Japanese professionalism, where he entered into this uh, new space of work where he didn't quite he didn't. He obviously had none of the. uh uh, none of the grizzled experience that someone that maybe had been working there for five, seven, ten years might, where he is kind of understanding that his uh, very idealistic ideas of what work should be are absolutely not the reality of what's going on, right? He thought he's going to like go into a company, 
rise the ranks very quickly, even if not that, just kind of have a good time, make a difference, build a camaraderie, all that stuff. I think a lot of people who enter post-college or just enter kind of the professional space feel this. Well, yeah. I mean, we've been told we shit sunshine since we were like five. So, of course, we think, oh, yeah, we're going to like start out making... I don't know, 200, 250,000. Enough to like have a house, 2.5 kids, nuclear family, white picket fence shit, right. you know? And you realize that no, you're a slave your to your shit boss. Your shit does stink. Yeah, your shit absolutely doesn't just stink. Your boss will let you know it every second of your day and it will weigh on you. So for him, I mean, you had a pretty bad first like job experience like in the real world and I also had like it was it was the time in my life where I've worked the hardest for the least amount of money. Yeah. Oh. Um, for sure. I mean, for me, I didn't even have a real job out of college. For the first 18-ish months, I was freelancing, building websites for people. That's right. Yeah, no company. I didn't know about the concept of LLCs like in a real meaningful way. And I was just like drinking like mason jars full of coffee and eggs just to get by. And then I finally got my first job. And that first job sucked absolute that's eggs. what i was talking about yeah I right i wasn't talking about the freelancing but that ain't that ain't that the shit though it's just like even before i had my first job which was the worst experience i have ever had in my in my professional life before that was i, I didn't even have the the proverbial safety blanket i i just had some person willing to pay me money to code on the side for for that long all that being said, like this guy had the entire raw experience and you in the way that the first episode framed it was so beautiful. Like the 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 office crush was complete the concept was completely dashed. His boss, while initially was so like enamor enamoring for him, uh, I think his name was Kasugi, uh, was like within days absolutely crushing his soul. Like you're a worthless piece of trash whose only redeemable merit is listening to my orders. And if you can't even manage that, I'm like, he, he's like, you're, you're making my life hard. Do you want to make my life hard? Do you want to make this harder for me? It was manipulative as fuck. Like, it's not even, it's not even a joke. That is some people's reality. So, uh, I, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, in a culture like um, Nihonga has, or Nippon, um, mm-hmm. it is very, I think, more common that that kind of shit w- you would they like there since they're not individualistic, you could get railed into the ground over and over and over again forever and not really feel like, hey, I got to stand up for myself. I think that is less of an issue in like the U.S. and Europe to a lesser extent. I think um, we, we're very I, like individualistic as I, cultures. I think we we know now, having been professionals for a while, that. The, the European work culture doesn't even, in, in a lot of cases, not probably all of them, doesn't inflict that amount of pressure. In America, that pressure is often felt, but we have a lot of uh, kind of camaraderie mentality around like not putting up with that shit. You know, like, yeah, I think it it has changed a lot. I mean, they barely work in Europe. Let's be honest. I mean, and it's, they have like take three months of vacation for siestas. Yeah. Shit. Oh, let's fucking go. I am here for the idea. I, mean, I guess. But they I, also like, don't that. do anything. I, shit. And they still probably get paid enough. That definitely. Yeah. Right. So like clearly that's not a problem. 
But in the Japanese collaborative... Uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'd like it to work less than we do here, but I'd like to, them to actually do something across the pond. You, you, want, you want something that Some merges. Parody. Yes. I, I, I can actually vibe with that. But with the Japanese workspace, it's like what we said on this podcast time and time again, the level of not about the individual, about the community and the communicative idea of like everyone doing their part to get something done where you have your boss absolutely clowning on you and someone's thinking like, oh, it is my it's my entire role to try to just be the subordinate here. Like, I need to do this for my team. And you don't have that American sense of individual like individuality within a professional setting and the European sense of laxed ideas as an overarching umbrella. The Japanese work culture as everyone has heard or knows, if you're listening from Japan, it, it sucks. <laughs> it does kind of suck. So our boy, Akira, is experiencing this to the nth degree, like at his absolute lowest last rope. And then out of nowhere, the zombie apocalypse hits. And in a lot of other mediums where the zombie apocalypse hits, we're thinking like, I am legend. World War Z, and even earlier stuff like uh, Night of the Living Dead and even stuff like that. Well, Walking Dead, perhaps. There it is, yes. And you have people that are just like instantly to fight or flight mode. Our boy Akira could not be happier. This man is fucking free. And I love that first hit where he finally tells the woman at work that he has a big old crushy on her, a big old work crush. And he starts to kind of come out of his shell because the, the shackles of the systems he's been kind of uh, placed in is gone. Work, society, uh, the, the actual pressure of going and being part of that team, it's all dissolved. So for him, he's like, okay, it's time to live in a way that I thought I always could and decides to do a bucket list. He decides to write a list of 100 things to do before becoming a zombie, which is interesting in its own right. You know, wait, he already kind of said like, all right, like, look, I'm, I'm a realist. I look out inside, I look outside and everyone's a fucking zombie. It's only a matter of time before I become a fucking zombie as well. Let's do a hundred things I wanted to do before I eventually <laughs> become this, you know? So I, I like that he's like, not a hundred things before I die. It's a hundred things that I do before I become a zombie. So that's kind of the premise. Yeah, I think uh, they take like an interesting look at this because it's coming from like a comedy perspective, um, which is interesting, certainly, because you don't typically associate like a zombie apocalypse with a comedy scenario. We've got a couple examples, like Zombieland with Michael Sarah comes to mind. Certainly. For sure. Yeah. And that's a banger of a movie. It's sure. honestly great. Like, it's amazing. But uh, to be honest, this does feel very Zombieland-esque. Dare I say, I think this show is a, is, copy? Is a better version of Zombieland. Interesting. It, entirely better. Like, categorically better, even. Um, okay, I disagree infinitely, but that's interesting. Fair enough. Okay. Why? So, 
why well uh, that is the entire episode's premise my guy i mean we're 20 minutes in it'd be an insanely good job like idea to start talking about it so let's hit it with the first <laughs> set of kind of like the characters that we build throughout you know you know akira is a guy who in the face of uh the zombie apocalypse has this almost irresponsibly whimsical presence to it definitely yeah like like and, and other characters have made note of his irresponsible uh whimsical idea of of like why are you taking this so fucking light dude like one his background is that he went to college and he played like on a pretty stout rugby team so the dude's actually like a secret like mp or, or opmc kind of guy yeah i mean he's a freaking killer yeah, that man is form tackling from episode one. Right. Like, to the point where Bug Films decided, let's blow the entire Sakuga budget for the first half of the show on the first form tackle he does on the fat zombie in his apartment. <laughs> um, yeah, he's got, like, infinite endurance, really good speed stat. His knees, his fucking knees, can't, like, he, he has no fall damage. He has no fall damage. It's a good point. Yeah. He, <laughs> I'm sorry. You get the you get the seltzer burps. Yeah, a little bit seltzy. <laughs> a little seltzy. Um, but yeah, so let's hit the roster of characters. And I think the characters actually is the first main point of why this is a better zombie land. You got Kenjo, his movie star, his, his main boy, you know, he he's his bestie. I think he was actually like a uh like a host club guy. He was a host club guy. That's what I believe. That's right. He wanted to be in entertainment. Right. I think he was trying to per, um, like put on airs, essentially, and be like, everything's great. Like, cause, right. Uh, okay. They do okay. like a few flashbacks to when like the world is still going right or whatever. And uh, like they had met up. Kencho had come to dinner with Akira. He's telling him how sick his life is. Uh, like all the girls, all the money, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Akira's just like, you know, he's trying to get Akira to quit his job or to change jobs or whatever because he's like clearly miserable, like not eating, like looks sick. Um, <laughs> like actually gangly as fuck. Right. Yeah. I mean, he looks actively jaundiced. <laughs> um, Act- actively jaundiced. And so um, it's just kind of an interesting idea because they play with it a lot as like, you know, um, and I think it's something that you can take to heart as like a, a viewer like n- even if you outwardly see people that look like they're having a blast or like their job rips like it could suck inside because there's a couple like pretty big scenes where kencho basically levels with akira and is like look i actually really hated my life i was not getting where i wanted to go i didn't like i was fulfilled zero percent that was probably a better way to explain my first point than i possibly could have because that's the number one thing is that the show i think does in some ways a better job than things like Zombieland of showing characters true colors after all the societal walls fall and they're like look what would if, if everything would have kept stood up and we wouldn't have had this it could have been years and decades of akira not knowing that one of his boys was kind of, I wouldn't even necessarily in this case say suffering, but just like, yeah, and maybe in a light way, light, lightly uh, giving up some other things to keep up certain appearances or keep up, you know, what he needs to do for his craft. And I heavy quote that, you know, so like he's 
clearly like would never have admitted that to the larger audience or even some of his closest friends that he lost touch with until a zombie apocalypse crumbled everything and some of these characters kind of let the stuff that had been hanging on their sleeves and on their vest like pour out to people that were once very dear to them. I, I think it is like a very interesting commentary on life too because like I feel like I try not to be very up or very down. I try to be as like You gotta it, be even keel. Even keel and in the middle as possible. Balance in all things is the way to Zen. Because that is true. I I get concerned with people that are like just overly happy outwardly because it's like life isn't that great all the time. Like it's really hard to believe that you'd be in like perfect condition at all times and like, you know, everything is fucking coming up aces for the boys, you know, shit like that. Um, and, and then also like super, super depressed is obviously bad as well. Um, so it's, it's very interesting, I think, uh, to, to look at this as like, a you know, it's okay to be in the middle. It's okay to not be like perfectly happy with your situation. It's okay, you know, to be, um, sort of like in the interstitial periods of your life 100%, where you're trying yeah. to find what it is that you do want to do. I think it is just like actively harder in a lot of ways to find like a job that you want to do that will pay you a ton of money and you don't have to do a lot of work right but it also is a time in the world where you can learn literally everything anything for free like there is nothing like that exists that you could not learn for free two points on what you had just said because i agree with a couple of those things one like look I am a software developer by trade, and I say to everyone on my team at work that I lead that there is about 10,000 20-year-olds with an Adderall prescription, an internet connection, and a free fucking weekend that can do what you do in 72 hours. You have to be coding plus something, right? And I think the idea of that, like, Anyone can be anything at any time in the real world is not just such a reality in, in 2024. It's a threat to my livelihood. There is someone that could be better at like the coding that I do tomorrow. But I think also what you said about kind of being at the even keel, I think that is where people should be. But this show kind of talks about how people don't make it okay to let others know that you can be at other levels. Like, Kenjo is a great example. He is physically like putting himself out there, really stretching himself thin to make it look like he is just living his best life. But in reality, he's like, I'm fucking starving. I'm trying to be cut. I'm trying to be absolutely shredded every fucking day, dude. Like it's a hard life to live. And I think that like the world that we live in with these societal barriers, it's kind of not okay to show that you are at an extreme but i think that that's kind of the cool thing that you should be able to do to say like i'm um today is kind of a dud day or today is fucking royal flush don't even at me i am on fucking cloud nine so i think like the extremes are good and should be like you should want to find a middle ground but it's okay to tell the others that you are at your low or at your high and i think that a zombie apocalypse like framing for characters like Akira and Kenjo is good because they get to tell others that, right? 
that Akira gets to say that he was at his lowest point with that work, but was hiding it from others. And Kenjo was saying, I was really stretching thin, but couldn't tell anybody else. So I think that's what this show does at first point so fucking well. When everything drops, people show their true colors. And it's a really kind of a beautiful thing to, to see a setting used like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my, I guess, rebuttal for is this better than Zombieland is like, this is a, this is a fictional, like, not even close to a reality version of how a zombie apocalypse would go, right? Like, I mean, they're like basically un, like, uh, tested the entire season. Like, there's a couple, like, obviously scenarios where, like, shit gets real bad but it's like overall it has not been that big of a deal like even the the weird mutant shark thing like he really tanks that fucker that and, was some and an, really that, has uh, no issues look we're in an anime setting that that was some anime shit of him trying to be a superhero right but uh, I, I did like the I, okay so i i wanted to say next character is our main waifu is like shizuka mikazuka i think her name is um she was called Miss Risk Analysis for a while, um, but Shizuka uh, is the character in every zombie film that is like optimizing the situation, right? In every situation, what is the best cost benefit an- like analysis to survive? And I think this show, point number two, does a really good job of introducing that character that I think is in almost every good zombie flick or zombie show or zombie piece of media where a character is hyper prepared mentally for the situation, like understands like if I go into this back room, what's my ingress egress, what could happen if there's zombies in there? Am I coming in prepped? Do I have an exit plan prepped? Like all that shit. She is planning every fucking step, but she is not our main focus. I think in Zombieland, Michael Sarah, Sarah's main character is the one literally giving us the rule book on how to be sensible in a zombie apocalypse. Right. Our main character in this story is doing the exact fucking opposite of that exact plan, but we still do have a character that is that is chastising him for not doing what Michael Sarah does in Zombieland. And that character is Shizuka. And we find out why she's like that later from some past, you know, upbringing situation, but she's slowly changed and maybe that is for better or worse, which is my one little gripe to start is that I think her changing her character a bit more to be more whimsical kind of takes away from the, what her character I think really brings to the show that I think her being such a hardline realist in this world really highlighted Akira and Kenjo and later characters, but her becoming more whimsical kind of cheapens that a bit where it's like, Oh, maybe the way to do a zombie apocalypse is really just live the way you want to live. And it's like, no, you would fucking die. Like you'd fucking die. Right. I think that's what I, what I'm saying is like, wow, Zombieland is still a comedy movie. There is still that injection of realism that I think makes it a little bit more like, um, you know, more realist, realistic. And, uh, 
like wow you still you still laugh at Woody Harrelson you still laugh at Bill Murray like oh Bill yeah you I forgot know, about Bill being in that movie you know shit uh, is a little bit more serious in some regards there's more like human interactions within the group that don't like go perfectly and you know just like a, a more realistic take at it I actually have a theory about Zom 100 that he's already dead or this is maybe just like a really weird dream because he was like in such a bad state in his original life. And and my theory is like all the weird colors all over all the zombies and stuff is just this like literally cracked out of his mind version of like a life. That's not the worst theory I've Thank ever you very heard, much. but it's, I think, an invalid one. <laughs> and for what reason? Because if you are you're dumb. If you, <laughs> is he dumb? Is he just fucking dumb? I think if you're an anime studio trying to do a zombie flick and didn't want to have all of your blood recensored as cum everywhere, what would you do? Well, there's still like blood and stuff. Yeah, but it's always rainbow colored. Always. You look from title to ED to everything in between. There is hardly, I mean, maybe just the occasional splash in a motion is blood in a scene that has more weight. But other than that, 92% of this show I measured, don't even at me. You can go back and look at all the scenes, but 92% of all of it is rainbow colored blood splatter. And I think that is number three is that the idea of subverting a zombie situation to kind of have a more whimsical reaction to it is kind of a reimagining of the zombie trope slash genre itself. Let's be honest, Ethan. Like, like, come on. Let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. Zombies have become stale up to a certain point. Everyone and their grandma wanted to do fucking zombies. I mean, you had twenty eight days later. And then everything after was maybe aside from um, like hot fuzz, like was it felt to me stale. I mean, some other noted uh, outstandings was like Train to Bushan was fucking awesome. Oh, quickly. It's Shaun of the Dead. So nobody freak out. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. It I was like hot fuzz. hot fuzz. Absolutely. There was no zombies, but I really appreciate you going for it. Well, which one was hot fuzz then? Like, Shaun of the Dead was the zombie one. Uh, Hot Fuzz was the cop one that was basically like an Agatha Christie, and then there was none scenario. Right, but like, At World's End was aliens, and then Shaun of the Dead was zombies. What was the monster in Hot Fuzz? The cop. The cops were the monsters? Yeah, or like... Are you trying to like throw some mad commentary down, my guy? No, like it was... I thought it was some kind of supernatural thing. village was just like a cult. Cult. Okay, we'll take cult. Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> cult, cult. Demons. We'll take demons. Um. So yes, it was Shaun of the Dead, not Hot Fuzz. Don't at me on that one. You can at me on Even other shit. You were wrong. I was wrong, but don't <laughs> at me, man. We corrected ourselves in the episode. Um. I I think the way that it handles the zombie trope, it revitalized a bit of fun in the idea. Shit, there are fart jokes. Zombies are making farts in the OP. Like they're literally like kind of repackaging zombies. In a way that's kind of interesting that I'll talk about in a hot second, but... Yeah, I was just going to say there is not that many zombie-related animes, though. So it is an interesting little fun take. I would love 
Well, for example, Koreans absolutely love the zombies. They fucking go bonkers yeah. for zombies, for sure. And honestly, a lot of their shit is like top tier zombie flicks in, Incre- in all regards. Exhibit A, Train to Bouchon. If you hadn't watched that, go fucking watch it. It's really good. The it's- show, I can't remember what it was, but it's on Netflix, is also incredible. Oh, okay. But- I'm in. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but phenomenal. Check it out. <laughs> Go find the Korean zombie flick that has I mean, no name on Netflix. You'll find it, I'm you sure. You will find it, yeah. Um, but I was going to say, like, I can only think of like a couple ex- other ones, like yeah. High School DxD, which is its own weird take on it. Yeah, Weird how, exactly? Mm-hmm. I'm Titties. not so sure. Titties. Uh, and I honestly can't even think of another one off the top of my head. Um, wow. I, I kind of took a beat to try to like cook one up in my head. No, I, I genuinely can't do another one. Like I can't come up with another reference at some point in the, re- the latter half of this episode. I will throw one out like crazy. I thought I, I thought I had two before we started, but now I'm thinking I only have one. So it's possible that another one does exist and we'll, we'll kind of like circle back. <laughs> but that's the point that I'm trying to make is this is you. still yeah. novel for the Japanese anime audience. They are few and far between for sure. Um, the idea of the zombie thing being a releasing of like societal pressures is also a huge kind of uh, motif in the second half of this show. Um, the- well, I want to say, like, I did not really enjoy it all that much until the full cast gets together. You were waiting for Beatrix, weren't you? Well, I was obviously waiting for Beatrix, but, like, yeah. when they start kind of getting on their own and doing their, like, cross-country trip, it's yeah. way more fun and enjoyable than when, like, Akira falls back into his old ways and, like, it just didn't make a lot of sense because he was living at that point for, like, weeks without having that... um that like PTSD come back and then he just sees one guy like to me like if we're in no rules zombie apocalypse I'm just killing the fucking guy and moving on that's that Kosu guy yeah. is the name of his manager so he was like terrorizing him at his job I will say uh, Ethan is 100% right the moment you get the full cast and then everything after I think the story completely strengthens and I don't necessarily think it's like we were waiting for the full cast. I think it's just the pacing of the show. But what we do get is a lot more really good commentary on a lot of the stuff they've been talking about in the first half. Case in point, they had finally gotten the smarts to understand, hey, if we're going to try to get out of town, get the fuck out of the city and go to the rural areas, which is a great zombie strategy. We need a vehicle that can accommodate that sort of journey. And Ethan, what would be the best thing to do long tripping with a bunch of people to have fun in? A freaking car, uh, RV camper van. Absolutely a car V, dude. Right. A car V camper. And they happen to go find, which I think is a, actually pretty realistic, an RV show in Japan. And they just like, yo, this is the fucking tits, dude. And they start picking out some fun ones that they had. And they manage to snag one that's pretty dope. So they go, and when they finally pick up Beatrix Amer Hauser, I think her name is. Amer Hauser? Hauser, um, probably. Am- Amer Hauser, yes. Beatrix Amer Hauser. Uh, she is a 
how do we describe this? Bad bitch. An absolute fucking otaku baddie. Yeah. She is She's a, the one we're all waiting for if you catch my drizzy. She got the absolute opious truth, big mama titties going on in this show. But more importantly, which is shocking, that she is a German foreigner that, like, from a young age, saw Japanese content on TV and got enamored by the country and its culture and dedicated all of her, like, m- like free time and mental space to becoming a true, I mean, like, a pure otaku. Like, spiritually pure otaku. I mean, she just straight up is like an encyclopedia for everything Japan. Right. It, she is a student, dare I say a professor in her own right. And I, I would, think it's clear she has autism. I, <laughs> <laughs> she clearly is neurodivergent in the way that, like, someone with Asperger's would, like, hyperfixate on, like, camera models or something like that. She hyperfixated on the encyclopedic history and culture of Japan to the point where she is actually pretty fucking good with a spear and a sword like she's like a no joke combatant yeah so i think (laughs) another kind of interesting idea putting putting all this in japan they don't have a lot of guns like no they do not we see exactly one gun in the entire show right so it's just a very i think vastly different scenario than what you would face in like america and places in this kind of region of the world where, you know, people hunt, people do all that kind of stuff, that would be potentially a resource that is more sought after or fought for than you would expect, I Sorry, think. Sorry, absolute hard T. There are way more guns in the show, but they're used more, like, altruistically from the hunting club in the rural village. Yeah, my B. But there's one gun that's used antagonistically, but to your point, in America, this would be an absolute slugfest. And I mean slugs, like absolute shells and gauges, and you would be firing so many bullets in, in this side of the in this side of the hemisphere. But But yes. I think Walking Dead shows you that Michonne and her freaking katana can rip some mother suckers up, and it might actually be a better strategy because it's a quiet weapon. It is a quiet weapon. This show does a good job of showing noise in a zombie world attracts all of the fiends and the ghouls to your spot and sometimes to their advantage which i i I like the idea of that where they had flares that shot off noise they had drones attached to walkmans attached to megaphones to lure zombies with drones to a certain area which is brilliant i think that is a definitely a 2024 move like that would be something i would do like Oh, they're going to swarm my base. I'm going to release a drone, play some like Van Halen and just let it go over a block. Like just goodbye and let them lure away. Um, But with Beatrix, she is a true otaku. She's a slice and dicer with the best of them and knows how to use a fucking katana. And it, it is effective through act two and most of, well, she gains a wheel in act three. She really kind of, utilizes the wheel with that body count for sure yeah i'm just i'm kind of trying to make the point that this is a definitely a different take than you would get on any type of north american version of this because guns are way less prevalent even i think the european shows um or, or movies or whatever about this like 28 days later there is less guns but of course he's like 
weirdly, you know, non-existent for the first month. And then it's basically yeah, like only yeah. military people have survived. Right. 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 In, in a lot of ways. So there are still a shitload of guns, but even I, I kind of wonder what would happen. Like would the JDF instantly fold, like where would those guns end up? I think it would be like a fun little thing if they kind of included like their perspective on what would happen there. Like how would you immediately distribute guns or like protection weapons to people? Cause there's clearly not a lot the nation would be able to distribute. Or to mobilize, like, individuals with guns, you know? In my head, I'm just thinking, like, just sheer lack of well, true I firepower. Mean, people become assholes when they can be assholes. I think that's, like, the the manager guy showed it. Like, he was, like, you know, trying to get on Shizuka. He's like, you're a girl, all you got is tits and ass. Yeah, let me just funnel them titties, just be nice to me. Right. I want to bring up that scenario where they basically, uh, Beatrix joins them, they drive the RV down the highway. There's It's free sailing, right? There's no one that's there to, like, touch them because everyone's a zombie. They hit a spike strip and realize they're running to a truck stop encampment of people, very Walking Dead style, that had set up camp to protect a set of people. Turns out, this is run by Kosugi, Akira's ex-manager, that piece of shit that made his life hell for close to seven years. And Akira snaps back in a world without, you know, corporate, professional, and societal boundaries. He snapped back in rank and file. He became a subordinate once again, which I loved the way that they uh, it was a bit ham-fisted, but I like the way that they moved in uh, um, Shizuka or Shizuki. Shizuka. Shizuka. Uh, her <laughs> kind of backstory kind of roped in with, like, relating to Akira's work, uh, like, experience with this particular manager with Kosugi. And I think that it was, while a bit rough around the edges, a really good way to show that, like, you don't need societal boundaries or corporate boundaries to snap you back into your old habits which was a very interesting kind of kind of take on the idea that like oh in a world that you don't have to be answering to your manager anymore you now have a new scenario where your manager is barking orders at you i think and this could back only happen it. though in like a japanese land because i you. think yes. if this is in america yes. you're killing the guy instantly or he's killing you or there's some like direct violent action immediately. The thing I would do immediately would say, yes, help, help my people. I need it. Once I'm on the inside, then I'm finding a way to, you know, murk this guy's ass. I mean, it's, I just think about this a lot. I know it's going to sound insane and sociopathic. I am so ready for, for this with that prep. But like without people expecting it, like murdering something would be really easy. <laughs> Like, in Holy a situation shit. like this where the guy thinks you're a little puss bag, you come in, you're just, like, pretend to be a little puss bag, and then he's not looking, you hit him with the baseball bat. Like, this is really, really simple shit. All, he had so many empty beer bottles, all he had to do was just have one of them in there that was half broken, and then just right in the, right in the throat. Right. Like, not a problem. And there are so many ways that Akira could make this guy not be around anymore, for sure. Well, it's just interesting because, like, even Assassination Classroom, they deal with the the idea that, like, our main character in that is, like, you know, off-putting, right? Oh, very right? off-putting, he, you yeah. know, Or not off-putting, I guess. He kind of stands you down. 
I'm I'm trying to say like he, he's not off putting. He puts you off. Like he literally is just will submit you to being a subordinate to him. No, no, no. I this need is help. a. I yeah. know, but you also just started a, like to try to help me and was going the exact opposite direction. Wait, Our wait. main character is disarming. He he looks like a little bitch, so he walks up uh, and he's able to just like oh, yeah, yeah, snake yeah. you bad. Right. So we can get close enough yes, to be yes, in a yes. very dangerously close striking position and you would never know it right. by the time he's done with like you. Like you want yeah. like if you're an assassin, you don't want to be like six foot eight. You don't want to be 300 pounds. You don't also want to be, you know, six to zero pounds. You want like, to be average as fuck. Right. Five, nine and a half. Not too big. Not too small. Exactly. Just like someone that you would pass by and then suddenly, oh, my neck's gone. That sucks. Okay. Right. Yeah. I hear you. So he did. He, he had all of the ways of making his manager not be around anymore. But he, he again, he fell rank and file again. And it was definitely just kind of like a, not even a commentary, just a really interesting look at the idea of what others will do in a scenario and how they kind of fall back into their old habits where this guy's entire world was subjugating others to making them feel like they must uh, serve him and kind of demean them into being subservient. And he finally managed to get over what is, I would argue, in Japanese corporate culture, probably a real complex that could be generated from something like this. And I, at first, I was like, okay. My American ass head was like, okay, come on, man. Akira, you got to not like, be such a pussy. Like, just, I mean, just he is that. like the world's largest pussy and also like the bravest bitch of all time. It makes no sense. But I think that's what it is, is that when in the context of a like a power ranking hierarchy, he is the biggest bitch of all time. Yeah. But I mean, when, when he's when, unchained and unbound. Exactly. When he is freed from the bounds, he's actually kind of a Chad. Like he actually can get shit done. So I think like that's that's kind of what oh. I was saying. Like when he he learned that those things are kind of fabricated. Like that's a huge message that those structures and those positions are manufactured to keep a particular type of organization running but it's it's made up by the people who run it and he kind of understood that and moved on from that um i think at the end the final quote-unquote arc is the most interesting for me because of the characters that we get as the antagonist, and I'm talking, of course, about Higurashi and his crew when he when uh, we get to Akira's hometown, real rural, real rural. I mean, like Japanese backwoods as fuck. But he finds his parents; they're still alive. The whole town is kind of still operating as expected, and it's because I think not just of their placement, but their mentality. Right? We do what we can for the others in this village to survive and everyone knows that everyone must work for each other to get this done and i mean that's exactly what like a rural town would do in like a zombie situation like i think if you got a bunch of like like 70 people together in the middle of bumfuck nowhere they'd probably have the best chance of a zombie apocalypse than anyone else honestly yeah i mean i think um the trope that's dealt with the most in zombie shit is like the people end up being the worst part about it 
Oh yeah. Like people always turn, do all this stuff, like betray whatever, because it's like so intrinsically like selfish behavior when you're trying to survive in a lot of cases. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, like that's why I think if you found like good friends initially, like you'd have a better option or a better like situation than like you find random strangers that don't care about you, don't know about you. Like there's less chance that they're going to like, you know, not backstab you. Yeah, right. It'd be great to have your boys behind you because right. the, they they won't backstab you like some randos would. I mean, it's certainly possible like you get your whole family together and there's going to be dead weight and it might be a little bit tough. <laughs> okay, I come from a family of six. I think that'd be the most interesting conversation to have like, all right, everyone sit down. Which one of us are dead weight? Who's got what? <laughs> Bring Do you think you guys would be that like confront it head on like that um my family does confront shit pretty head on but i think in our family we are like everyone's got something they're good at so we'd be like we'll find someone to do something and i don't think we'd we, we wouldn't label them dead wait we'd label them like okay the stuff they're doing isn't intrinsically like primary to our survival but at least it adds something I know that sounds odd, but we'd find something that they could contribute to the overarching. I yeah, think. I just I wonder because like there is like also in all of these situations a bit of like a step back in time or a step back into like different societal roles, like in in pretty much every possible like zombie flick that kind of happens. Like, um, you could potentially have to like start homesteading again and do like shit like that. Which blows and is hard to do. Okay, you're in this village. You, yourself, scenario. What do you think your role would be? Like, if you had, like, a true survivalist... I mean, I'm a fucking all-arounder, mate. I could do bloody anything. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, I think, realistically, I would be related uh, or involved in, like, engineering, obviously. I think I'd be strictly, like, a carpenter, for sure. Like, I don't know if I'd be blacksmithing, but I could... If someone, if someone that was blacksmithing be like, hey, you're part of our group now, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Oh, I'd pick that shit up quick. But I think if it's like, you need to start doing something with no training. I mean, if there's no blacksmith, I think I could cobble something together faster than most people. I tr- you, yes, I believe you could probably get the blacksmithing going. For me, it'd be carpentry, for sure. I could build shit with wood very quick. But I don't know if I could make uh, blacksmithing work without a blacksmith there to teach me some shit. Yeah, that's my problem. So that's the other thing that I think people do downplay and shouldn't is in a zombie apocalypse, maybe the smartest first move is literally just go to the library. Yeah. And grab like essential shit. Yeah. Like literally base foundational book guides of like blacksmith, carpentry, medicine, like just have like you don't need a library. You just need a stack of the basics, just like just a pile of books. Right. Yeah. And like, okay, then everyone, you pick, you have like 50 people. All right, everyone go pick a book that makes you most interested. And if you don't pick one, I'll pick one for you. Learn it. And cool. All right. For example, I, I uh, have friends that are big into foraging and stuff, you know, kind of like believe that. into believe, that world. I believe that. Um, something that I found really interesting is, have you ever seen that like at like some lake or some swamp or whatever, like that, that orange kind of algae? Oh yeah. The, like the orange foam. The uh, stuff on top. Right. So you can actually, that is like a oxidized iron. You can smelt that. That's 
fucking sick right dude. so it's kind of what? like a situation where you like think that that's nothing or that's like completely unusable but then like that could be like a valued resource right like it's holy um, shit. i think you just really gotta think about like you have to restart everything from scratch oh we're getting a dr stone territory at this point right like, honestly and, and like, i do wonder like that would be probably one of the hardest things is like how do you find ore right like, even in dr stone they do like they kind of, I think, zoom past that part a little bit, that you know, faster than you would like. Well, granted, you you aren't necessarily working with with like everyone is gone except the ones you pick. It's like who is still surviving, and they could have potentially forty years of experience in some craft under their belt, right? So it, it's it's a bit more of an advantage, obviously. But yeah, I, I hear you. Right? I do You're, think also like you would have to probably recycle most of the stuff because a lot of it is like just already out there. <laughs> yeah, you know of I mean? course, of course. Yeah. So it'd be interesting, like what could you actually do and make? I mean, that's, that is the interesting thought about like escaping from a zombie apocalypse into a rural town, which is what Akira and the friends do when they get there. I do, I do think there is no like really light at the end of the tunnel. Unless there's a way like you can outlast a virus. I think getting a community in the mountains like the rural town is probably the best you can hope for because they've been probably doing it zombie yeah, apocalypse or not right but what's the point you surviving like there's no more of a living you're surviving like you're just kind of just making it work but unless you can beat back the zombies or like it will die out there is no there is no end game right but that's so what we see in the show is at least at this stage of the outbreak the people at Akira's hometown managed to block off the only tunnel to get there via car, which I think is a smart move, obviously. But what we do see is Higurashi, this guy that went to college with Akira and uh, Kenjo and uh, that like weird rugby group, um, was kind of slated as a neat. He was an introvert. In middle school, and people noticed. In high school, he had no friends. Come college, he literally was just the most brink edge outsider of any social group you could possibly imagine. And they kind of draw an interesting parallel between Akira and Higurashi, where when society ended, they were both elated. They were both excited that finally, I don't have to have X happen anymore. But for Akira, it was his fucking awful job. But for Higurashi, it was his horrible fucking life. That we find a very interesting message that the show is trying to send in its final act. Where Higurashi managed to find three outcasts by their own right, their own particular journeys. And they team up with Higurashi to do a... The same 100 bucket list items before they turn into zombies. But these items are way more uh, like malignant. They're way more issued, I would say. <laughs> Problematic. No, but, like, for lack of a better term, they're just literally one. 35 on their list is literally fuck up society. That's pretty vague. <laughs> like that, anarchy, anarchy. They're they're fucking uh absolute degens in their own right. So their version of fucking up society is to unblock the tunnel that this small rural town had blocked to keep them safe to just let it all burn. And 
all of these individuals that this guy had gathered, we find kind of have their moment with sing single combat with this other zombie surviving group that Akira's built, and they're all very similar. They say, I think all of them have a version of this phrase, no matter how you look at my story, I am the victim here. And that is really interesting because if you look, if you look at all their stories, one is a husband who is completely negligent to his wife. One is an absolute horrid, horridly rigid boss who just like can't change in any way. And another is someone who just, you know, considers himself unlucky, but he just makes shitty decisions and literally burnt a restaurant down. <laughs> They're all bitch-made, in my opinion. They're all bitch-made because they're all... They can't take fucking responsibility for their own problems. And Ethan, as usual, said it best. They literally don't know I how to... go that far, mate. Oh, I, I was giving you the I attaboy. Know, I would I, not, though. <laughs> you literally knocked the attaboy down? Yeah, that's bad news. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, all of them literally consider themselves the victim when it's almost overly abundantly clear to any like sane brained viewer that no it's your fucking problem that you're in this position you weren't like ostracized from society you literally just weren't being a good person and at the end of the day also there's no i think better scenario where you could reinvent yourself than a situation where like the basest of needs still needs to be met like, people still need to keep shit clean. They still need to, like, farm and do, like, the easiest shit you could possibly do. Right. Like, like uh, as far as, like, mentally challenging or stimulating, like, that stuff still needs to fucking get done. And so, like, there's just no other time that you could reinvent yourself. And if your, your situation that you are going down or your road that you're going down ends up being, you know what, I'm just going to burn it all to the ground because I'm a little whiny bitch. Like, the problem is you. So you did just knock yourself down, but you also, again, put it better than I possibly could. That's not true. I'm just saying you you're just, a smart you, boy. You, no, no, I'm saying you just He's did such it. You, a smart boy. It's just two. It's just two professors just trying to hype each other up at the end of the day. But that's what that's what the final kind of nail in the coffin of why I think this is a bit better than Zombieland is because it really took a hard look at individuals that see the opportunity that something like a zombie apocalypse could present as a avenue for reinventing yourself and the slate is wiped clean and yet they're doing the same shit they've always been doing right since the or the same shit that got them into the position where they were so angry at society that when it finally fell the thing they were angry at and they had a moment where everything was like completely the leisure was gone they were still doing the same shit that made them angry at society. And I'm like, that's a really interesting take. And I think the last motif is preaching the positivity of change or on the other side, the negativity of the inability to do so. Because Higurashi is the prime example. When's he cry? Mm -hmm. When's he cry? Uh, Higurashi when he cries. Oh, okay, got yeah, it, he, got when it. he cries. Yeah, he just, <laughs> he just always cries. Um, the idea of Akira saying to him when he finally presented himself on the bulldozer, when he like mowed all those zombies into town, that he saw that he had a notebook 
and said, wait a minute, you're doing the same shit that I am. And he said, you are just living in accordance to your own freedom. As someone who's doing the same thing, I have to respect that. But in you enacting your freedom, taking away others' freedoms, these villagers' ability to live free, I literally can't understand what you're talking about. Like, like I thought you understood what we're trying to do here and live free. If you do truly respect that, then you wouldn't be, I don't know, like crashing this rural town's party of just trying to live their own fucking lives, right? Like, you clearly don't get the premise of this whole thing. And at the very end, when yeah, I he, think he should just be a little more hard line. He's he like so be. nice that it's like absurd. He should be more hard lined. I kind of do like the way that he solved the problem at the end. That was kind of fun. I think it was a bit ham fisted. Not ham fisted. It was just a bit contrived where like, oh, suddenly the makeup artist chick had all the shit she needed. But I do pull that back a bit that like she found some detergent with red dye and some like weird paint in like this barn that had everything she needed. But then she randomly pulled out contacts to make him look like a zombie. I'm like, okay, there's no way you fucking had those on hand. There's just no way. <laughs> I don't know what you wanted. Right. What certainly you wanted a little to say. bit um, contrived. I totally agree. For sure. But at the end of the day, it was like, hey, Garashi, what did you actually fucking want to do? Like, what? Like, don't like. I mean, just like knocking over everyone else's sandcastle isn't a solution. No, it um, isn't. Yeah. Or like a reasonable option. That's why I'm, I, I, I do feel like it would happen, of course, in, in when like the say this all went to shit. But also, um, that's kind of my point, though, is like, what is the actual goal? Like rebuilding society, and it doesn't seem reasonable unless you can like just start hacking fucking zombies to death and get rid of them. Yeah, because I, like, I, unless a bunch of doctors survive, like there is nothing. There is no solution. That is a bit of the season one curse of this. Like yeah. we don't have the grand picture of this right. yet. We just have the perspective of a small rural town. And once like the zombies were driven out and like controlled for the time being, I think they had enough of like a, a perimeter to like, okay, let's just try to get this situated for now. I would but not I be you. surprised if like 100 on the bucket list is like cure the fucking thing or right. something dumb like that. You notice they only got to like 85. Yeah. They're, they're, I think that is kind of where this show is going, where. Um, they're going to start getting harder to accomplish. They're going to get harder to accomplish because they realize that this is more of a fucking problem. And maybe that doing a bucket list before dying is probably not what you should be using your energy on. And I think that'd be a really interesting way to play it because there was that scene earlier when they kind of came across the guy building the treehouse. Right. I think that's going to be a huge overarching I mean, genius option. It was a beautiful way to frame the. One, yes, genius option. Build a treehouse. Get get out of the fucking like that or a houseboat, like yeah, something so mobile. Houseboat, incredible. I do wonder like what weather what weather or how weather I guess I'm trying to say would affect zombies. So like say go up into a high mountain or something like that. Like, are they able to climb over rocks? Are they blah, 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 blah. They're clearly not worried about their oxygen they take. So if you are as a sentient human, could you figure that out while they just get like tired and and right i've I've read also some books that talk about like old timey like miners and stuff in like pretty um hard to deal with locations like 
Colorado back in the day, like the Rockies oh, right. yeah. or Utah or something like that, where there was big pushes for like um, mines and mining. And it just sounds like the absolute worst fucking situation of all time being stuck under like 20 feet of snow with like really no way to cool, like warm up. Right. Sounds horrific. Yeah. Um. So I do wonder like wh- how you play the game, you know, that I, w- I would say the last thing I had to say about like that one scene with the treehouse guy is what he said about like building a treehouse, right? You listen to what the tree needs by listening to the tr- thinking about the trees around it and the earth that it's on. And if you can do that, you can think about the entire forest. And Akira thought, if I can do that with people, does that mean I can listen to the voice of the whole world? And, I, and he even said it, if I manage to do that, what does my list look like then? Here we go, Evangelion. I think that right there is what season this show... two is going to be jacking off when uh, Shizuka is yep. asleep. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to go full Evangelion. Yeah. He's going to be full pet, like weird, weird sex offender. Yeah, I think that that that, that, that right. tracks. That totally tracks. Yeah. Okay, so I did want to say that this show has gotten quite a bit of revere and renown. So it, it has. has three wins and sixteen nominations. Uh, Crunchyroll Anime Awards, twenty twenty four nominee for for best ending sequence for Shiyu. It was really good. Happiness of the Dead. Yeah. A twenty twenty four nominee anime award for best comedy. It's really funny. I will say it's hilarious at times. Yeah. 2024 nominee anime award for best VA performance, quote unquote, German Patrick Keller as Akira Tendo. Very interesting. I would never have expected that. I was going to say, didn't watch it at, didn't watch it in German. So that's really weird. I thought you would (laughs) have. 2024 nominee anime award for best art direction. I think they could win that. That genuinely could play for sure. 2024 nominee anime award best new series interesting i fuck with that yep. but there's no way it's gonna win that no but um, I, I think it should contend yeah and then uh best opening sequence for kana boon musician because kazuki kawago yo storyboard and direction song of the dead the op of this anime is fucking platinum it's so good like it is it, good it's very, very, very good. Anime Trending Awards has Anime of the Year nominee. What the? F- okay. Uh, do I get Anime of the Year nominee? Sure. Yeah, do I, I think Anime of the Year? Eh, a bit of a soft entry on that front, but it does deserve to be in the conversation, I will freely admit. I mean, there's an absolute shitload on here that are like nominated. So Fair enough. Like it's it's not as tight as like Crunchyroll, but I'm still gonna keep saying I got you. Okay. Um uh Girl of the Year 2024, Shizuka Mikazuki. She she is a very good supporting boy of the year for Kenichiro Rios. Let's go! That's the real fucking award, baby. Kenjo's the boy. Supporting girl. He can slurp udon with his fucking ass. That's kind of weird. That's what it's literally in the show. That's kind of weird. What do you want from me? It's Uh, in the show. Nominee for supporting girl of the year for Beatrix Amherhauser. I'm sorry, supporting. I know she's supporting the entire second half. She's definitely supporting some. Well, couple, something, something supporting things. her, I'll tell you a that. A couple things, if you yeah, know what right. I mean. <laughs> I know what uh, you mean. 2024 nominee for Best in Animation. Oh, uh, it deserves it. I mean, Bug Film's full scent. Yeah, like, a couple it's so good. random Japanese names, so I'm not going to go into it. Fair enough. Best in sen- Sceneries and Visuals. 
um, a couple more Japanese names. Um, action or adventure anime of the year nominee. So they're really like covering a lot of bases. Ending song of the year for Shi Yui, um, which is Happiness of the Dead. Best voice acting performance, male, Shi Uchiro Yumeida as Akira Tendo. Really, he did a very good job. I mean, best voice acting performance, female, Tomori Kusunuki for Shizuka. Yeah. Favorite supporting female character, Beatrix Summerhauser, winner for summer 2023 seasonal award. Okay. She threw some of, like, the way that, she was a Japanese VA, I assume. I watched it in dub, and she was, like, had a uh, German accent. Like, you watched it in dub, and she had a German accent? Yeah. That's fucking sweet. Yeah. In the sub, she threw some good, like, yas down, like, some good German shit down. I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Fair Um, enough. It won seasonal award for favorite ending theme song, Shi Yui. Um, and then it also won seasonal award for favorite comedy, Summer 2023. So, holy I shit. Mean, pretty renowned, I think. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, I, I truly think that this show uses the zombie background to do things like talk about the ability of people to or not able to change in the face of that kind of stuff. And it talks about like a very interesting mentality of what happens when the hum like humans kind of like drop the walls and like a zombie apocalypse just breaks everything down and there's no like there's no longer a reason to act a certain way for a certain someone. And it uh it, it has a lot to say about that, that it's very easily could go very light like Akira or very dark like Hiragashi. Um or Higurashi, I would say. But at the end of the day, Ethan, what would you give this show? Score-wise. Yeah, so the back half is infinitely better than the first half for me. Okay. I think they they took a little bit too long to get the squad together. Like, it, they did not get together until, like, episode nine. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they didn't get together. I think it was, like, episode seven. No. Like, it was definitely through the back half. Right. Episode, like, nine. Well, the sushi one was eight. Six got the RV, and I thought seven they had Beatrix. No. So they leave the manager guy's little encampment, and they find Beatrix on the road because she has all the fish in the truck. That's eight. Yeah, that's sushi. Yeah, you're right. Fair enough. Um, Which, not entirely important here i just think that the back half is so much stronger than the front half that it's like hard for me to really love this show it was pulling teeth genuinely for me um a little bit okay and then also the big pause in the middle for like i I believe it was like covid or something related to that uh for the studio that was hard because i was watching it weekly yeah and I i was never like informed when it came back Right, I I I was luckily I was they dropped the last three on Christmas. Oh yes, I remember reading that. Yeah, they're gonna drop like the final hometown of the dead trilogy, like right. final arc. They dropped all of that on Christmas. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna give it a seventy-five. Ooh, I think it's a solid show. It's not my favorite. Okay, I was out here. I'm gonna stick to it, giving it an eighty-four out of one hundred. I truly think there were moments in this show that genuinely made me choke up i think it had a really good 
uh, character set. I think Akira following him has been a great way to follow a zombie apocalypse story and the kind of journeys he goes through and understanding like himself in a world that is not really like influencing pressures on him, be it familial, be it professional. I think it, I think there's something that a lot of people can relate to. And um, there was a part of me that said like, oh, does this deserve 90s? And I'm like, not quite. It's a little rough at this point. I think if we get season two and three to be as strong as the second half of season one with the full crew, we could be looking at a 90s on our hands. But at this point, I think low to mid 80s is as high as I can give it. That's how that's how it's going to live. Yeah, it's just I, I don't know. I, I just get like so like anti-authoritarian essentially when I see someone be like such a bitch. Yeah, and you're like why wouldn't you just clap this guy for sure? I mean, there's like a million different things that he could have done. There's there That was a part for me that I was a little bit stressed about. I'm like, there are so so many ways you can get the fuck out of here. But it's also like stupid as fuck because like we know he's not gonna just stay in this dumb little encampment and be a bitch for the entire series. Yeah, so how the fuck is he gonna get out? I don't hate the idea that they had um, you know, they had her kind of help him out of that and snap him out of that shit. But um, at the end of the day, you know, I, having- I just think it was like kind of a bad trope to try to throw in there. Like, oh my god, he's fucking regressed. I, I think I think using Shizuka's past as a way to correlate with I get him, it. I just I'm not. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's the that was the narrative out, and I think it worked. But I hear you. There could have been other ways that made that more engaging. Did I want to see Kazuki get his ass fucking eaten by zombies to get a little catharsis? Yes, dude. I wanted to see like Akira just look down from the top of a car and be like, serves you fucking right. And just watch his boss get his ass eaten by zombies. That'd been great. Yeah. So do you want to do potentially a like a look at the Crunchyroll Awards for 2024 as the next episode? Ooh. Make our picks maybe based on their nominations that exist. Do we want to basically pick our noms or like no, no, pick no, no. the winner? They from already the noms? have a list already out. Okay, with all the nominations. We want to give like a kind of a preview prediction on what we think they'll do. Yeah, and then you could pick your own from the list too if you wanted. Let's fucking rip it, dude. Sounds like a plot. If you want to listen to that and anything else that we have done in the past, I don't know what's the time now. Five years. Um, go ahead and uh, go back and listen to anything we have done over 242 episodes at this point on any platform you're watching this. It's 2024. The anger builds. I know you're on a fucking platform, students. Go over and down and pick any episode on the platform that you're on. If you'd like to talk to anybody that we have talked to on our show or any of the Patreon folk, patreon.com slash ubology. One darn up gets you into that discord. And uh, we've been talking about some good stuff in there lately. If you want to say hi or like, comment, subscribe anywhere we do those things or check out a little bit of the merch that we are wearing at this current time, Webology.com has the entire link tree and a form where you can just email us and say hi. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely read it. I don't know if we'll respond immediately, but we will read it and you will be heard. But Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely read it. I'll probably respond. How about that? Uh, Ethan had just committed to responding to every single email you guys send yeah that's in fine. perpetuity so yeah that's fine yeah fair enough I, <laughs> I think that is it i'm gonna go not promise that i will re- <laughs> respond to every email that we get we get a lot of emails we get so many emails yeah but yeah but until 
I actually swim through our inbox for the 7,000th time. I'm Ricky. And I'm Ethan. And this is Nelly Bology. Deuces. Deuces. I can't you swim through that. There's like 3 million emails. I live in there. You live in the inbox? Okay.